0: You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good evening, everybody. It's good to see you guys. Sorry for the little bit of problem we had there. It's so good to be with you this evening as we celebrate what is known as Good Friday, when in the world around us, Uh, We know as brothers and sisters in Christ that this day 2,000 years ago was anything, it was anything but good as far as the outlook on the end in Christ. And it was good for our hearts, good for our souls, good for our salvation, but it was not good to see Jesus go through what he had to go through on the cross for us. And so while I'm speaking in addition to Scripture right now, just talking about it in general and pointing us to where we're headed tonight, the majority of our time is going to be simply letting Scripture speak to us and to our hearts as we prepare our hearts to worship the King from now when 2,000 years ago we know that Jesus was dying on the cross to the point of resurrection on Sunday that we celebrate together. And so I want to let the scriptures lead us up in the story. In fact, we're going to be most of our time in the book of Mark, starting in chapter 14, if you'd like to be there in your Bible as well, Mark chapter 14. But I want to start a little bit further back. There was the beginning of the end for Jesus's life on earth until God raised him up from the dead. We'll start in John 11, verse 47. This is after Jesus had raised his friend back to life. Lazarus had died. Jesus waited to go to him to show his glory and to point to what he would do eventually for all of those who put their hope and faith in Jesus. And we see here after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered. And in John chapter 11, verse 47, we pick up the story. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And as they were eating, later on in Mark 14, verse 22, we see as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. And said, Take this my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks he gave it to them, and they all drank of it, and he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of heaven. When he took the bread, he took bread like this, and he picked it up, and he He had it in front of them, had all of their attention for sure. he said take this is my body after he broke it and he gave it to them and they ate and it started the tradition that we have as our communion or the Lord's Supper where we remember his body broken for us and then he took the cup and as he took the cup he had given thanks and they all drank out of it they passed it around the room And they all drank of his cup, which he says, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. And now as we partake in these things, church, as we know in our lives, as we take the Lord's supper together, every time we do that, we partake of his death, of his body being broken for us, of his blood being spilled out for us, and it nourishes our souls. he says in verse 25 again, truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus was taking this old covenant and he was saying it's not just about what God did for us in the Exodus. It's about what I'm about to do for you on the cross. Mark 14, 32 says they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, "'Sit here while I pray.' And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, "'My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch.' And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, "'Abba,' which is like the word daddy, as a young child would say, "'Abba, Father, all things are possible for you.' But their eyes were heavy, they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I want to speak to you just a moment about this situation as he's standing in the garden. And he goes and he prays and he asks his disciples to pray for him. He takes the inner three, pray for me while I go pray. And as he goes to the father, before that he even says to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. We don't hear this kind of language from Jesus at any other point in the scriptures before this. We do hear him saying that he is sorrowful over looking upon Jerusalem. He wept for them, but we don't see this talking about himself. He says, my soul is very sorrowful. He knows that he's about to plead for his life from his father, but nevertheless, not my will, Lord, but your will. He knows that he goes to ask for this because he is fully human, not just fully God, both fully God and fully man. And in his humanity, he is sorrowful even to the point of death. So much so that three times he cries out to his father, Dad, Father, you can do all things. Take this cup of wrath from me. Take this cup. Daddy, please take this cup. Three times take this cup from me, Father. Dad, please. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will. I can't imagine What the father was even experiencing as he heard his son cry out to him, begging for him to take this cup, but knowing that nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The father's will was to send him to the cross. Jesus' will was to come and live the life we could not live so that he could die the death that we deserve on the cross. Mark 15, after they arrested him, verse 17, and they clothed him in a purple cloak And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Beaten him within an inch of his life already. And as he walked down the road that just a few days before they were... Yelling out, Hosanna to the king of kings. Now the same people were yelling out, crucify him. In Mark 15, it says they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription on the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. That's what was nailed above him on the cross. And when they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from that cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. In verse 33, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. But we see him, the scriptures say, for a little while he who was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous sin, Person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He committed no sin; neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not return revile. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Surely he has borne our griefs, And carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Look, that scripture, all of it is so true and so real for even now. Although this happened 2,000 years ago, right now we are experiencing a time where we are struggling, where we are wondering what is going to be the end of our situation. What is going to be the finality that comes whenever it might come. And I am here to tell you that we, like these that wrote these scriptures under the leading of the Holy Spirit, even now they speak to our hearts that all of us have gone astray. Every single one of us. But by his wounds, we can be healed. By his being pierced on the cross, we can be healed. His blood spilled out for us on the cross that washes away our sins, that makes that cross one of sorrow, also one of beauty. For if you put your hope in Christ, only if you put your hope in Christ alone, not only as the man, but also as the Savior, as the one who is fully man and fully God, if we put our hope in Christ he will bring salvation to you. He will make you new. You may think nothing that I have done can ever be overcome like that. I can never deserve that. And you are right, we do not deserve it. We are but worms and wretched before a holy God. But the Christ, who is everything perfect, came to this place to live the life that we could not live a perfection in obedience to. Heavenly Father to die the death that we deserve for our sinful rebellion and then on the cross the Father placed all of our sins all of those who would put their hope and faith in Jesus their sins were placed on Jesus And on the cross, he died and gave himself up as a willing sacrifice, unblemished, with nothing wrong with him, no sin ever in him. And in that sacrifice on the cross, he made the way for us to be reunited with the Father, that we could be brought into relationship with the Father. And by his wounds, we are healed. By his sacrifice, we are saved. Please do not waste another minute. Put your hope and faith in Jesus if you have not already. And if we have, let us turn once again back to the one who loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross in our place. For his forgiveness is enough and he can wash away the worst of our sins. Let us find our hope alone in him. Father, we need you. We need you to work in us. We need you to show us grace and mercy that only can be found in your son, Jesus. For we know that by your wounds we find healing, if and only if we put our hope and faith in Jesus. Therefore, we are regenerated. We are made anew. But we know that all of this is possible because 2,000 years ago on this day... Your son, Jesus, gave his life on the cross. He was forsaken so that we never have to be. That you turned your back on him so that we never have to experience that. Lord, imprint on our hearts the severity of the punishment and condemnation of our sin that was placed on your son so that the one who's worth more than all of creation could pay the price for our sins. Oh, how beautiful was his sacrifice. Oh, how glorious was his death on the cross and how sorrowful to our hearts. Let us be reminded of it over and over and let it turn our hearts to you. and Let us find our hope, our everything, our joy in your son, Jesus. And may his name be made famous in this place and beyond. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.